Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of What the Forensics. My name is Journey, and I am joined here today by the lovely Nicole and Rebecca. This week, we would also like to welcome the two co-owners of Gap Science, Aaron and Ashley. Um, thank you so much for joining us. It was so awesome that we were able to like get together and meet and talk about this. Um, to start, would you guys mind telling us just a little bit about yourselves and what you do with Gap Science and a little bit about what Gap Science is? Of course. Who would like to go first? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'll okay. go first. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for having us on your podcast. I know it takes a little bit of coordination to get five people's schedules to line up, but um, we're very excited to be on What the Forensics. My name is Ashley, and I actually met Aaron as we were promoted to supervisors together. So I was over the crime scene unit. Aaron was over the latent print unit, and we had lots of struggles um, you know, we do a really great job in the field of, you know, prepping the technicians, um, you know, being able to do the technical work. But as far as when you're getting promoted through the field, it's a little bit, a little bit difficult and the training is pretty sparse. So that is why we created Gap Science to begin with, is we wanted to basically create the training that we wish we had had as we were um, going through the ranks of even just becoming a trainer, but also a supervisor as well, and make sure that we provide forensic professionals with leadership development as they progress through their careers. Awesome. Yeah, yeah we've definitely talked a little bit about like the discrepancy in... <laughs> or like the lack of training of forensic professionals. So I'm really excited that you guys were able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, there's a lot of training available for people working in the discipline, like a lot of technical and skill-based training. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not your agency will send you to it is a whole nother thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for us, yeah, we definitely had struggles once we got to the point of supervision because they're was not anything out there that was made to help forensic people be successful as supervisors and leaders in their units. So that is where gap science came about for sure. Awesome. Did you guys find that it was like the um, difficulties with like the people management when it came to the supervisors or the actual like implementing of your role, I guess the supervisor. I think role. It's, yeah. I think it's both. Honestly, okay. I think that, uh, a lot of people don't realize that when you become a supervisor uh, or a leader of a unit that you spend the majority of your time dealing with people issues, you know, dealing mm -hmm. with conflict and conflict resolution and drama on your team and yep. uh, drama with detectives and other people <laughs> at the agency and all of that kind of stuff. And so the supervisor is responsible for being able to alleviate that and fix a lot of those things. And a lot of supervisors don't have those skills. Uh, yeah. A lot of supervisors don't even think those skills are valuable. You know, when they go to classes and things, they're not taking classes on how to be a better communicator, how to be a better leader, how to resolve conflict, that kind of stuff. Like in forensics, we take classes on like how to do bloodstain pattern analysis, yeah. how to do, we were just talking earlier about tire tread and foot and all of that kind of stuff. We don't sign up to go to classes to improve my communication and listening skills. <laughs> yeah. you know? mm -hmm. So I think yeah. as a supervisor, we really have to do both. We have to improve our people skills, 
Uh, and we also have to get the skills to effectively run a productive forensic unit. So both those pieces are important as a, as a supervisor. And ironically enough, um, <laughs> what we see tend to happen is um, the head of the departments really don't understand the forensic units. They don't really mm-hmm. understand what they should be doing. Um, so there's a lot less oversight of, you know, the forensic unit Ooh. and the supervisor making sure that they go to these types of training. So if there's no one forcing you to go to like a communication class, the likelihood of someone signing up is probably yeah. not going to be very high. But yeah. what tends to happen too is they just promote the best technician. And just because you're good at the forensic work does not correlate to being <laughs> yeah. a good supervisor. <laughs> yep. Yep. Wow. Interesting. Um, so Aaron, how did you get into your role as a CSI? So I started in the field. Um, it was actually my mom that got me interested in forensics because she said that she, I really didn't know what it was because back in the day there wasn't like CSI and stuff on TV because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the old, the old <laughs> one in the room. But um, so she was the one that told me, like, I always thought this would be so cool, but it's so disgusting. I could never do it. And so I looked it up and I was like, this does sound kind of cool. So I uh, kind of made that my goal to be a CSI. I went to school, got hired uh, from my internship. I did an internship in uh, my bachelor program and that department hired me as a CSI. And then I feel like, and maybe we can talk about this later too, but um, my path in forensics has been really wild. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. when I started, I really just thought there was just CSIs and like that, or you work in the lab, like you work at a law enforcement agency or you work in the lab and that's all there is. Mm -hmm. And there's actually so many things you can do in forensics. And um, so my path kind of was very winding. Like I started as a CSI and then I ended up working uh, with the military for a long time and then kind of circled back to law enforcement. So I've done a bunch of different stuff in uh, forensics, but, but I started in CSI essentially because my mom thought it was cool, but it grossed her out and that kind of piqued my interest. And that was how I ended up kind of where I started in my career. That's so awesome. Yeah. And what about you, Ashley? I don't know much about um, your story as well. Yeah. So I was one of the ones that was pretty heavily influenced by the shows. Um, I definitely like grew up with like Murder, She Wrote and Law and Order. And then CSI came out um, and that kind of solidified my interest. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can do like solve all these crimes with math and science like this is what I want to do. So um, ever since high school, like I even did, there was a program back in the day. I don't know if it exists anymore called Leadership America. Um, So that was all forensic based in New York City. Uh, I went and studied forensic science um, at the University of Central Florida. And while I was doing my internship at a crime scene unit, In Orlando, I noticed a lot of um, crime scene investigators either had their master's or were going to pursue their master's while working full time. So I figured in order to stay competitive, I needed to check that box. So I continued on with school, but I wanted something to set me apart. Um, You know, a lot of people will tend to do like 
criminal justice or anthropology. And um, I, my ears perked up with entomology, which is the study of insects. Uh, and I knew nothing about insects, but oh, I decided, okay. <laughs> like, let's let's get a master's in this. I know yeah. nothing about it. Let's let's just go. <laughs> um, so that's what my master's is in entomology. And then I went back to the original crime scene unit that I interned at uh, after I finished up my thesis and started crime scene investigation work. Um, and then that's been my primary experience. So I did hop over to another agency, did the same type of work, and then eventually got promoted to supervision. Awesome. Congratulations. That's crazy, though, that like you knew nothing about bugs before going (laughs) into it. I feel like people always have like such a hard set line and like knowledge of this is it. I know everything about it. I'm just going to expand that further in my master's. So that's incredible to see. Yeah, it's pretty humbling to just be the <laughs> the person in the program. Like everyone else had a biology degree. They knew a lot more about insects than I did. And I'm just like, did you know an insect had three body parts? And they're looking at me like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> he knows a lot about bugs now. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of going back to your interest kind of with the TV shows that kind of perked this interest. I know for me, at least bones, the TV show Mm -hmm. bones was like a big one for me. Um, How do you guys find though, like looking back or rewatching those shows, if you do now with your knowledge of the field, do you find it hard to watch those shows? I cringe. I will say personally watching a lot Mm -hmm. of like CSI bones where they get like a murder solved in two days of course three people yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think it's um they're entertaining for sure but um i think the i mean that's where the csi effect comes from essentially is that you know people have this belief that everybody has that kind of technology available everybody has that speed available Mm -hmm. like all the results come back instantly um, or, or even the resources, like their, their laboratories are always fully staffed. Nobody takes a day off. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, there's always plenty of money and technology and resources to go around, which is just not realistic for, you know, actually working in the field. Um, yeah. I just taught a class like a week or two ago. And I don't know if this is the same in Canada, but um, I asked the students in the class, like, how long do you think that it it takes for DNA results to come back? And they were like, oh, you know, an hour, a day, you know, whatever. And I mean, I've gone to trial for cases and it's not this bad right now. Like it goes through ebbs and flows, but like I've gone to trial for cases two years down the road where we still haven't had the DNA results back. So the the thought that we can get that in 30 minutes is (laughs) it's not real, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. So um, like we have our, our firearms right now, our firearms section in our state lab. Um, I think they're supposed to have like 11 firearms examiners and they have two. And so they are over like a year and a half, two years backed up on guns. So like testing, sending a gun there to get tested. I mean, 
we may not even get results back because they are sending some back unworked, you know? So I think that's the reality of forensics in a lot of places is Mm -hmm. that we don't have the resources and technology and all of Mm -hmm. that available to us that we see on TV, unfortunately. (laughs) So when you go to trial and you don't have like evidence back, how does that affect the proceedings? I mean, if they don't have something that's really vital, they might try to push the trial. Um, But in that case, we did go to trial without the DNA results. And I don't remember, um, it may not have been so vital to the case that they felt like they could have moved forward without it. Uh, But they probably would have called someone from the lab in to explain why the results hadn't been, you know, obtained yet. Uh, Or a lot of times what happens before trial is if they don't have the results they need, then they push everyone to rush it. You know, like this trial is coming and people are rushing to get that case finished before trial, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they'll present the evidence and the jury doesn't necessarily know that the results came Friday, you know, trials Monday and we finished this case (laughs) Friday. Okay. which they should probably share because people wouldn't start to have more of an understanding of how long this stuff takes. But, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it is interesting, I think. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys have the same thing in Canada? Is it similar? Um, I want to say yes, but I don't actually know. I feel like it's the same kind of thing where they don't tell the jury that, Oh, we got this evidence like three days ago. So I, I can't honestly say if we do or not. Yeah. (laughs) I know we have, crazy backlogs though because i remember in class we were even learning about um like sexual assault cases and any like swab kits or the processing of dna for those like yeah super backed up so yeah it's not it's really not it's very common uh, all across america Mm -hmm. and i think like i think ashley would agree with this too um we have a lot of people in the forensics field in the United States that have very high degrees, you know, they're very well educated Mm -hmm. and um, they're paid very poorly. And so it's very hard to staff, to fully staff when you have people with master's degrees, you know, bachelor's, Mm -hmm. master's, doctorates, and you're paying them like just barely above minimum wage. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I can go work at Walmart for the same amount of money and not be digging through decomp, you know? And so a lot of departments have extreme staffing problems because they either have, you know, they can't fill all of their spots or um, people are coming in, but then as soon as they find a better job somewhere else, they, they go and like, really who can blame them, you know? (laughs) So, so that's definitely a thing too. Like just making sure you're even fully staffed, would help make forensics go faster but yeah that's hard to do too i feel like that's one of our our biggest issues for sure um and it's kind of i don't i don't know how it was right when you got into the field aaron but i remember when i was starting to come out of college it was really hard to find a forensic job they were Mm -hmm. highly competitive and now i don't know if it's just because um you know, there's a lot more Facebook groups or like LinkedIn is another resource where you can find jobs more easily, but it just seems like mm-hmm. there's new postings, new job postings every day, if not every week um, for forensic jobs. It just seems like people, um, 
they can't hire because the pay is so bad or they can't keep them, like Aaron said. So they're constantly, uh, it's a revolving door. Right. Wow. Um, And then Ashley, have you testified as well in trial or is that kind of Aaron's gig with the team? How does that work out? (laughs) No, we both have testified um, for, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mine's through crime scene investigation work. She's testified for crime scene investigation work and latent print evidence as well. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Um, and then I guess for the both of you, then the first time you ever testified, like, how was that for you? Cause I guess that's the, a big shift from thinking, you know, what you know, to being put into it and like experiencing it. Right. So my first time was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what had happened was, <laughs> um, is, this is like a whole other side tangent, but um, the when I got into crime scene investigation work, I did go through a training program. It was about 16 weeks, and there were a lot of parts of the training program that were very good. Something that was not incorporated in the training program was a mock trial or what other people call as moot court. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my literal first experience being on the witness stands uh, was the real deal. And I would wow. highly recommend like any, any agency that has <laughs> forensic units incorporate that in your training program because yes, it's uncomfortable. Um, and there are some people that may flunk out of the training program cause they can't testify in court, but that's, that should be incorporated in it. So, mm-hmm. um, my first time testifying was on a homicide trial as well. This is one thing that I also don't agree with. And so I changed this when um, I became supervisor as well, is I don't think that anyone that's in training or going through their probationary year um, Mm. should be on a major case. So literally like three months out of training, I get a homicide and it was a baby death. Um, And those cases go very fast. So they're usually like expedited, especially this, this child also had siblings. So like they're going through the juvenile courts and stuff like that. Um, so, and like what's different between that and a traditional like case with adults is like, it just, uh, goes to trial very quickly. So before my probationary year was up, I'm already testifying and it's on a homicide case. And so, um, and it was, um, publicized. So inside of the courtroom, there were video cameras and like, you know, all of that pressure on top of it. So needless to say, by the time I got out of the courthouse and made it to my crime scene van, I just started bawling. It was such a a traumatizing experience. No doubt. Imagine how stressful that would have been. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, but yes, my experience was the same. So, and wow. I actually, when I started in forensics, I was picked up by a department that did not have a training program. And so, um, and there are many of those out there that are, you know, tossing CSIs out there to the wind. And that's how we were. I shadowed, I shadowed someone for a little bit and then they were like, okay, you're out on your own now. And, wow. and I was, and it took years for me to learn the things that I should have learned from the start. But um, 
But mine was the same because you're you're really not going to trial on the more mar- minor crimes. I mean, it mm-hmm. is the homicides that you're going to trial for, the really violent crimes. Um, so mine was the same. I went to a homicide trial. It's also very traumatic. I was also very unprepared. Um, I was very nervous about it. And so I talked to my uh, supervisors and stuff like that to just kind of prepare me. And what they told me at the time was just tell the truth. And that was the only tips that I was given for trial. And I remember being so stressed about that because, um, you know, we, we invest a lot more resources in the more violent crimes. So if you have a homicide, you send more people, you send more equipment, you spend more time there. And so I was really nervous about like, well, what if they asked me like, could I have done more? Like, could I have done this or could I have done that? And the truth, the truth is yes, but I didn't because I, you know, didn't have enough people or it didn't have this or I didn't have whatever, or like, uh, we our, our department doesn't have that piece of equipment. Like that is the truth. Do I sit up there and say like, oh, well, my department didn't send me to training. Like that's yeah. the truth. Yeah. yeah. And so when they were like, oh, just tell the truth. That was so stressful for me. I'm like, that's <laughs> not a good answer. You know, like we want to be truthful. Yeah. But um, but being like, yeah, my agency doesn't have a training program. That's a truth I don't want to talk about on the stand. Yeah. So I also, um, when I went through latents, they actually sent me out to a company that had a whole latent training program and they um, had a moot court. Okay. And I also feel the same as Ashley, that that is absolutely something that has to be part of a training program. And that prepared me better for court than than anything else I had done did yeah. before that. And, um, and I also agree with Ashley that if you can't pass the moot court or the mock court, like you should be terminated from your training program because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. We're working these scenes and collecting this evidence all for the purpose of prosecution. So yeah. if we can't testify in court, then we're not actually doing our job very well. So yeah. that's a really vital piece of that whole the whole start to finish puzzle. So. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm most nervous about, like getting a job in forensics is like having to testify because I just, I'm, I feel so unprepared just as a person, but knowing that you don't really get any training doesn't make it any better. <laughs> yeah, it, it's certainly scary. And I mean, even at this point, you know, Ashley and I have been in the field for a long time now. And even now, you'll you'll still get anxiety going to court, but mm-hmm. but the knowledge and the experience that you have obviously really helps. So, but it's very terrifying to go to court for the first time, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Well, how many cases have you worked?" And you're like, "One, this one." <laughs> you know? That's yeah. that's hard. Like at this point, you know, we can go to court and be like, we yeah. we have worked so many cases and for so many years that they don't pick on us as hard as they would somebody that's fresh. But I yeah. do think that your training program really has to support you in that. So you can go to court and be a rock star and not be up there just kind of fumbling through it. So definitely. Um So I guess what was the biggest learning curve you guys faced when you transitioned from the academic setting to a hands-on career setting other than, I guess, um, testifying at trial? (laughs) So for me, um, the biggest shift between 
going from academia to the real world was, and this is from the experience of a law enforcement agency. So there are also plenty of forensic jobs that are in state labs. You're, you're not in law enforcement, but crime scene investigators are typically looped into a law enforcement agency. And so just that culture um, mm-hmm. was very different, um, you know, trying to, figure out what the ranks mean and like just the hierarchy um, of like detectives and deputies, like, and the fact that the agencies that we worked at, the forensic unit are civilian employees. So we were, we did not go to police academy. We were never a police officer. And so there is definitely, um, there's definitely like a, a difference between the sworn personnel and the civilian personnel. Yeah. Um, and so just like figuring out that dichotomy was interesting. And also, so in academia, you're trained essentially to always be questioning things and asking why, mm-hmm. or like, I need to go more in depth um, versus when you're at a law enforcement agency and they give you something to do. It's actually somewhat rude to always be questioning, well, why am I doing this this way? Uh, Because a lot of that culture is like, well, your superior told you to do this. So you just do it. Um, Versus in academia, like we're always questioning, well, why, Mm -hmm. why am I doing this? Explain this to me. Um, So trying to figure out um, how to best get my questions answered while not coming off rude was an interesting lesson to learn. Yeah. It's really fascinating um, because like, I feel like in a field of forensics, it is so important to have your questions answered. And mm-hmm. so going from academia where you can ask all the questions you want to then feeling like you don't want to disrespect your superior. I think that's a really interesting clash in like experience really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in academia, if you think about it, like when you're going to school, everyone, everyone is in forensics. But then when you get into actual forensics in the field, you're a little tiny piece of a very big organization. So forensics is not not the most vital piece to the department, you know. So when you are asking questions and stuff, you're asking to higher ups like law enforcement higher ups. And they're not, you know, you're not asking to the discipline as a whole. You're directing that stuff to to a, this organization that you're a very teeny tiny little piece of. So would you say that um, was your um, like thing that you struggled with, with um, transitioning from academia to like a career? Ashley or me? You, sorry, Aaron. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, what I was going to say, the, the biggest thing for me was that my, what I learned in my degree, my degrees, mm-hmm was not useful. (laughs) And so, um, when I, I was surprised, so we have this happen a lot too, where people will get hired in and like what they've learned in school is how they believe that it really is. And, and it's not. And so I had to learn things all over again or things from scratch that I never learned in my degree. Like, being a CSI. I mean, I went to school, they didn't teach me how to process anything with chemicals. They didn't teach me how to powder a vehicle. They didn't teach me any of those things, you know, Mm -hmm. there are some programs out there that do that. 
Um, and then I went to, I mean, I have my master's degree in um, forensic DNA and serology and also something I never use. <laughs> so, wow. and I've worked in the field now for almost 20 years. So I think that was a big shock for me was to come into the field and have to learn things all over again, because I wasn't taught what I needed to know to be successful at the job. Right. Um, I also think what I found is that a lot of my instructors in my college programs had never actually worked in the field. And so a lot of them were teaching as academics and teaching from textbooks and not actually teaching from personal knowledge. And so um, when I was in my bachelor's program, I didn't know any different because I hadn't worked in the field. Yeah. And then I worked in the field for a few years and I went back and got my master's. And I could tell at that point which professors had never actually done the job and the things that they were teaching that were not accurate to real life. And so that was a a real struggle for me in my master's program was like having them teach things and being like, yeah, that's not that's not actually a thing, you know, (laughs) that was a hard thing for me. And I I bet Ashley would probably say something similar that a lot of the stuff she learned, she never got to use. Oh, yeah. Um, And there is a lot of things that I wish I did learn that, um, you know, they can't prepare you for everything, but even like photography, it's probably yeah. the biggest part of a crime scene investigator's job. Mm-hmm. And I never had like a photography class or anything like that. So that would have been helpful. And there were definitely like skills that were not developed for field work. Um, yeah. So I definitely would agree with what Aaron has said about it just doesn't match up with real life for a lot of what you learn yeah yeah, yeah we and didn't really too, have like a oh sorry go ahead nicole that's okay no i was just saying i guess too that's where like gap science comes in to fill that gap because like you're now teaching these people that not everything's gonna be the same like you're not gonna know these things let us help you yeah we are trying to fill in the gap especially for the supervisors because i i feel like um you know hopefully when you get hired into forensics you do get hired into a department that has a training program and like trains you and supports you to do what you need to do at that Mm -hmm. job Um, but then as soon as you get promoted and it doesn't even have to be to a supervisor spot you know there's a lot of uh trainers like field training officers so you've been doing the job for a while now you get promoted into an fto spot but nobody teaches you how to be a good teacher how to help somebody learn this information you just get dropped in and then you hope for the best and that's how a lot of supervisors are they get dropped in there's no guidebook there's no training on how to do it so we are trying to support a lot of those people by offering some of those extra classes that you just don't get anywhere else for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah that's really fascinating. Um, just going back really quick, talking about education. Um, I guess we wonder, do you think all education for forensics is created equally? Like I know you had talked about degrees versus certificates and how some certificates are kind of just like trying to pump out as many forensic professionals as we can, but how much can we learn from like a very general program versus uh, like you, Ashley, you studied entomology, Aaron, you studied DNA and serology. So what should a student kind of be looking for in a program if they want to get into forensic science? Like, do you think a certificate 
is worth it, is justified? So my biggest advice, and this would be kind of hard, right, um, is to figure out, like, where do you want to land to work? And so if you're like, I want to live in this state or I want to live in this particular city, then look at the agencies that would be hiring you because just in the United States, every single state is different. Every single county is different. Police department is different on their requirements to hire you. So for the agencies that we got hired at, it was a requirement to have at least a bachelor's in a hard science degree. So there are many universities that maybe aren't accredited, that their degrees wouldn't count. And there are also a lot of forensic degrees or forensic programs that do not have a strong science background. So we're talking about, did you take chemistry one and two? Did you take organic chemistry one and two? Did you take advanced analytical chemistry and analytical chemistry? Did you take biochemistry? Did you take, you know, calculus one and two? Um, So the degrees that we had fulfilled all of those requirements versus a lot of the other universities maybe are more focused on criminal justice, in which case, if you go to apply to specific agencies that want a hard science degree, you'll automatically be disqualified from the requirements just because um, the, the degree doesn't fit what they want in their personnel. Yeah, Interesting. There, I, I agree with that, too. There are definitely places that will take a certificate program. And if that's where you want to work and that's what you want to do, then that's totally sufficient. But I think doing your research is important. And I also think I know like we're perfect examples of like you might not end up where you thought you would when you started your career. Mm-hmm. But if you can look down the road a little bit and be like later on, I want mm-hmm. to work in a lab or later on I want to teach or whatever it is Um, because CSIs burn out pretty fast. So a lot of people get excited about being a CSI and going into the field, but most CSIs are only going to be a CSI for about five years and then you're going to move on and do something else. So looking down the road, if you're like, well, I'm going to start as a CSI, but eventually I want to work in a lab. I would probably get a bio degree over a Mm -hmm. forensic degree because it's broader and it'll allow you to work in more places. Uh, If you get a forensics degree, then you are kind of narrowing your scope into, you know, this only applies for this certain area of things. So I would try to think a little bit farther down the road too and see, like we see a lot of people post on some of the professional groups, like, should I get my doctorate? And I think Ashley and I would both be like, no, but but if you want to be a professor, you know, if you want to be a forensic professor at a college or something like that, then yes. Do you need Mm -hmm. to have your doctorate to be a CSI or work in a lab? No. So um, I think looking down into the future too and seeing kind of what path you'd like to take can help decide what degree you should get as well. Yeah, I I would 1000% agree with Erin. I've actually advised some people that I'm like, if you truly don't know what you want to do yet, or if you're unsure about doing field work, like get a broader degree like biology or chemistry or, you know, biochemistry or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you can 
get hired for crime scene investigation work with that degree, or you can go work at a lab. Um, some people even go through the whole process of getting a forensic degree. They see their first dead body and they're like, not for me. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you definitely don't want to back yourself in a corner and please, please, please do not get so far over your head with debt. Like it is, yeah. this is not the field to have a, <laughs> crazy mountain of student debt yeah, uh, yeah. because it will take uh, a whole lifetime to pay it off because you're not going to get paid that much. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, kind of talking about like certificates too. So just kind of back story for the three of us. We have degrees in Rebecca and I are Bachelor of Science in Psychology and then um, Journey is a BA in Anthropology. And what we've done is like our school offered a certificate program to add on to your degree in forensic science. Mm -hmm. um, so say something like that, for example, would you look at the BSc and see that and go, okay, and you have forensics elsewhere, they're a good candidate, or because it's not biology, it's not chemistry, it's not kind of physics, would you turn that over and go to the next resume kind of thing? I feel like it would just depend on the classes that you took to get the certificate. Okay. Um, okay. Because I did a certificate too in my bachelor's. Um, it was a certificate and I think it was in crime scene investigation. Um, mm -hmm. it, just because I really liked the classes <laughs> and I think I was like maybe one or two electives away from getting it. So I'm like, I might as well, might yeah. as well do it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what I see a lot on the forensic groups is that they don't understand what that certificate means. So they're like, I'm a certified crime scene investigator. And it's like, no, no, yeah, no, no, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> um, but no. I do think like it is good to see, okay, they have a broader degree, but they yeah. clearly have some interest in this type of work because of the certificate. Yeah. It would just kind of depend. But what do you think, Erin? Yeah. Um, I would say the same. And I think um, when we were talking about certificates, I was thinking more of like, we have some local programs that are very short, like a year mm -hmm. okay. where they don't end up with a bachelor's. They, they take like a couple crime scene classes and then they graduate with like a certificate in crime scene. Those are the ones like we, we won't even hire from them anymore because yeah. they don't have any of the stuff, even like your bachelor's, even if you have a bachelor's in a different degree from a higher science, like they require you to write papers and do mm -hmm. research and things like that. So you come out a lot much more polished. Yeah. <laughs> like we're seeing people come out of these certificate programs that can't write a report. Like they have horrible grammar, can't string two sentences together. Wow. And that's a lot of stuff we're struggling with. Like, okay, they can process something, but they can't write a report, which obviously we have to do every day. Yeah. So I think that we would consider it too. Like we require... Uh, specific coursework, uh, especially because our CSIs are required to work in, uh, we have a DNA pre-screening laboratory, so we require that they take five certain classes. And yeah. for us, that would be, that would be the eliminating factor is like whether or not you had those classes. But, but there's plenty of departments, I imagine, that would take any of you guys with a bachelor's <laughs> and a certificate in crime scene for sure. Yeah. Um, kind of going off that, do you find there are a lot of discrepancies between the certificate programs though and like knowing what was put into them because for us for ours we had to take first year we had to take biology we had to take chemistry we had to take like xyz to then apply into this 
certificate program. Um, yeah. But I know you were saying, Aaron, that there were some certificate programs that maybe a year long, you don't get a bachelor's degree out of it. Um, so I guess long kind of condensing that, like the standardization across the board, um, do we need more of that? And like, how do we see that in these certificates? Yeah, we, we need that in the field in general. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, I would say for us, I don't know enough about Canada to know if this is the same, but it probably is. But we have um, we have several schools in the United States that are very well known for their forensic programs. Mm -hmm. And so when people apply that have attended those programs, like we know they're good programs, we know it's good education. And so they're immediately let through just, just like we know which schools are offering bad, you know, education and which students are coming out of that school without the knowledge that they need. And so, um, So it's probably similar for you guys where you have some core, you know, universities or things like that that are offering good forensic or hard science programs that um, people know, you know, those schools get reputations about if they are producing good quality candidates or poor quality candidates. And uh, we do use that information in our hiring for sure. Before we even meet someone, you know, we'll Mm -hmm. look at their their transcripts. We look at their grades. We look at the school they went to and the courses that they took before we even interview them. So we we look at all of that for sure. It's interesting that you say about transcripts because I feel like I've always been told like, ah, they won't look at your grades. Like, C's get degrees. (laughs) It's your, like, if you have your piece of paper, then you're fine. Yeah, so we do for sure. I, wow. I will I will deep dive in someone's transcript <laughs> for sure. And I try to be, um, you know, I try to remember that people are 18, you know, yeah. going to school. And, you know, I was too. I definitely had some C's in my bachelor's degree. Um, so I try to be considerate of that when I look at it, you know, and be like, well, it is biochem and they were 19 years old. So we'll let that, we'll let that uh, <laughs> retake go. <laughs> yeah. But I definitely look at people's transcripts. Cause I think even like you said, even someone's, you know, you'll look at transcripts sometimes and you'll see like from a university, someone took biology, like biology one and two. And then you'll look mm-hmm. at someone else's transcript from a different concept in a, or a different, university and it'll be like concepts of biology. I'm like, well, like for us, you know, biology one and two is pretty much standardized across the country. Whereas like principles or concepts of biology is like bio light, you know, like they didn't have to do quite all the same things that everybody else did in biology. So I'll look at that stuff too, to see, you know, what kind of classes they took in their degree for sure. So then when applying for like a CSI job or a job in forensics, would you suggest using like your CV or a resume? Or it just those depends on the agency. For you guys. Oh, okay. okay. There are some agencies that don't even, I, I, I don't know why it was adopted, but you know, they want to like make sure everyone has an equal playing ground. So they won't even accept like your resumes, <laughs> your CVs. Oh, uh, they're like, no, no, don't hand us that. We can't, we can't look at that. We can't accept it. All we can do is look at what's on the application. Um, wow. So yeah. Um, so I just feel like it just kind of depends where you are applying to. Um, mm-hmm. But for the agencies that do take 
um, resumes or CVs. Honestly, if you're just coming out of college, it's pretty much the same thing <laughs> because <laughs> like uh, a CV for like Aaron and I right now is like, I don't know, like at least seven to 10 pages because we have like so many years of trainings. We have experience testifying like so uh, a CV in that essence, like it would detail all of that experience out um, versus someone coming straight out of college, you're not going to have a lot of that. So a lot of um, when I was applying, it was a one or two page resume. Um, So yeah. Yeah, that answers your question. I will say now, I think this is an interesting topic because I sit on a lot of interview boards now. And some of the things I always look at, so in the background, it requires you, like in the background packet, it requires you to, um, like, this is just ours, for example. Everyone's not going to be like this. So it requires you to put all of your social media on there. And I look at it. I'll go look at your social media before I we even sit down to interview you. So people think like, oh, I can post whatever I want. No, you can't. No, no. <laughs> I, will, no. I will look at your Facebook, your Instagram, your Snapchat, like whatever. Um, and then um, we also require uh, people to write an essay, like a short essay about why they want to work for the department. And I think some people kind of blow that off. And I read every single person's essay and I am super judgy about your essay. And there's, <laughs> there's some things that I look for in an essay. So one is like that you can write and have decent grammar and spelling. Like if you cannot string two sentences together, I'm like, no, that's a hard pass because I don't want to have to teach you how to write reports, like just in normal, proper grammar. So -hmm. that's one thing. And then I'll always look for things like we have a lot of people who will be like, oh, I I really want to do this because I love um, CSI on TV, which to me is like an instant viral. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's so bad. But we had um, I I think people almost think that that we don't read that stuff. Like we had somebody who recently so you have to put like male or female and you have to put um your race you know and it's like Mm -hmm. it's like whatever it's like hispanic white black whatever um they actually filled it out and put white but a little toasty (laughs) (laughs) i won't lie it made me laugh however (laughs) i was like come on guy and then even in the interviews like when you get into the interviews like one of the interview questions we ask is like because the, the CSI environment is very chaotic, you know? Yeah. So one of the questions we ask is something along the lines of like, how do you stay productive when you're working in a very noisy, loud and busy environment? Because it is, it's super noisy and loud all the time. And we had somebody uh, just recently, he was, he was like, well, I was a, a server on Mother's Day at um, a restaurant, you know, and I used to be a server too. So I definitely understand that Mother's Day is, and he, he said something like, and Mother's Day be popping off. And I was like, that is accurate. It is accurate. However, so, so yeah, some of that stuff, um, like we, we require people to submit pictures of their tattoos so we'll wow. look at all of your tattoos before you get hired. 
Um, <clears throat> I saw on one of the professional groups the other day too, Ashley probably saw it too, but somebody posted about how honest they should be on their uh, polygraph questions. Like they okay. send you a list of all the questions and they were like, well, how honest should I be? Like, should I really tell them everything that I've done? And people were like, yes, absolutely. Mm. 100% tell them everything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like we've joked about like some of the things we've confessed in our polygraphs because we're trying to be like so extra honest, but mm. all of that stuff, I think people are filling out so many applications that they don't take the time. You know, they're filling out 50 yeah. applications, hundred applications. Uh, but I do actually read every word that people put in there. And actually when people are lazy and don't, like bother to fill it out. I'm like, no, cause it's a, yeah. it's a detail oriented job. So if mm -hmm. you're just going to burn through it and not bother filling it out, mm -hmm. like, I don't want to hire you, you know? So I think some of that stuff is interesting to mention too. <laughs> yeah. That's more than fair. Um, just out of personal curiosity, what are your guys' opinions on polygraph tests? I was going to ask that as well. <laughs> <laughs> On, like, the validity of them? Yeah, because we've been kind of taught, like, they're not valid. Don't trust they the polygraph. Really be used. Yeah. Like, there's no real, like, not that there's no real use for them, but that they shouldn't be um, trusted as heavily as they are. So I do have an opinion. On it. <laughs> um, now, to be fair, um, I don't, I can't say this for Aaron, but for me at the agencies I worked at, it wasn't a true polygraph test. It was a voice stress test analysis. Oh. Um, yeah. So it's not like you're hooked up with wires or anything. They mm -hmm. actually like record your voice and see if there's any like different inflections when you say yes or no. Um, but because they're not like utilized in a court of law. Um, I personally think something like a polygraph or a voice stress test is to uh, see how well you're, you can handle things under pressure. And if you are in fact like honest because integrity mm -hmm. and honesty is extremely important when you are handling criminal investigations and um, you're put in a lot of ethical situations. Um, so I think it's more of just like an intimidation tactic to try right. to see like, okay, like how truthful were you when you filled this out versus what happens in a voice stress test is you yeah. literally go through all of the questions um, with them and they're like we're gonna run through this one time and you have the opportunity to like add anything or um, like you know further explain some of your answers and um, then you run through it a second time the final time and um, I feel like that's just your opportunity to like mm -hmm. come clean about some things to see how much they can get you know for yeah. you to confess yeah. That's just my opinion. What do you think, Erin? <laughs> I mean, I've taken, <clears throat> I have worked for agencies that gave legitimate polygraphs where they do strap you up the whole, wow. the whole nine and departments where they do the CVSA. <clears throat> so I would prefer to take the CVSA or it's, I would prefer to take a polygraph over a CVSA. The, some of the things that I know about the difference between them is the, the polygraph uh, instructors actually go to school, like they go to a program for a long time. It's like 
it's it's a pretty intense program. The CVSA guys, they go to like a 40 hour class. And wow. then <laughs> um, so there is a lot more training involved in the, in the polygraph and the polygraph is black and white. So Mm -hmm. like you get a list of questions and you're only answering yes or no. Whereas Mm -hmm. like the CVSA, they really like kind of deep dive into some more stuff with you. Um, I also think, so when I took the polygraph, they ask you all the questions once. I want to say I went through it two times. So they ask you all the questions they ask you in the break in between to expand on some stuff. And then they ask you all the questions again, and then that's it. The CVSA, I believe, and again, this is just my opinion. Ashley might agree with this too. I believe that they intentionally hand select a few questions and just pester you about them to see if you'll change your answer. Um, And I think that, I think that anyone that changes their answer is crazy (laughs) because (laughs) they're, they're trying to get you to change your answer and to like confess something. And so I think if you've committed to something in the first round and said like, this is, this was the truth. And then they pester you and pester you and pester you about it. And you're like, oh, okay, well you got me there. Like you're immediately going to be disqualified because now they're showing that you've been dishonest. Like Mm -hmm, one of the things that um, I got pestered about at my current agency in my CBSA was drug use. And, um, I know that drug use is becoming like, or like specifically marijuana use is Mm -hmm. becoming very common. Like it's very uncommon to have people apply that have not used marijuana. I just Mm -hmm. happen to be one of those people that really never use marijuana. And so they thought that that certainly couldn't be true, you know? (laughs) And so when I did my CVSA in the middle, they pestered me a lot about marijuana, marijuana usage. Are you sure? Like you've never, um, like you've never sold it. Does your husband sell it? Or my husband's also (laughs) in law enforcement, you know, like does he use it? Does his family use it? Does your family use it? You know, like, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like all my answers were honest. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then they went through it a second time because they were like, "Oh, you were showing some deception here." They asked me all those questions. They're like, "Okay, we're going to run you through it one more time." They ran me through it one more time. They're like, "You're good." And I was like, <laughs> "I bet I never showed deception." You know, yeah, <laughs> like I yeah, exactly. you just picked something, and they were just harping on it to see if you would change your answer. So. But I harped on mine for take like it asks a very vague question. And this is another thing where it's like for someone in forensics, like we'll take things very literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, So one of the questions is like, have you ever taken anything from an employer? And the like as a student, the only um, advice that you're given on these like polygraphs or CVSAs is like, tell the whole truth. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, like I know I have taken like pens, sharpies, post-it notes, <laughs> batteries, like, you know? And so I answered yes, because it's just a yes or no answer. So yeah. I'm like, yes. And then they grilled me like, well, specifically yeah. what, and then how many times and like, what, what would you do? You know, average the dollar amount of that. Oh, and no. I'm just like, $5? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they definitely similar experience. Like Aaron said, they'll like really pick a one specific answer to see if you'll change it or like try to dive deeper in what what you really meant by you take stuff yeah. from your employer, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's so well, fascinating. I, 
don't know if I've ever heard of the CVSA, like especially mm-hmm. compared to the polygraph. And it's really interesting that you would say it's more, um, I guess, a little more valid or that you'd prefer to take that over a poly or sorry, take a polygraph over that because a polygraph is kind of like not yes, easier no. to cheat, but less valid, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but I guess just if they're going to force us to take one, I'd yeah. rather take the one that is not like just somebody with a 40 hour class out there winging it, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Like, let's, do, let's do the the whole thing. And a lot of times they're detectives at, that work at the agency. 100%. Um, so I think they're just doing the detective work of like, yeah. they're, they're implementing the interview stuff and less of like the CVSA training that they've gotten. And what also makes it, a little bit awkward is like all the things that you confessed to this person. Yeah. Now you get to work with them <laughs> at some capacity in the agency. It's great. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. So interesting. Oh, I can't imagine. We um, know all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, I guess, from the uh, stresses of trying to get into the job and the, the stress of picking the right program. Is there anything that stands out to you guys that would be like your favorite part of your career or kind of what is keeping you in like your love for forensic science and keeping you in this role and thriving? Hmm. Do you want to go first? Um, I think, well, I think for me, what I love doing now, which is, it's obviously changes throughout the course of my career, but I love sharing all of the experiences now to help those mm-hmm. that are coming up behind us just have a smoother path. Cause mm-hmm. we had, um, I feel like Ashley would agree with us too. This is why, this is why we're two halves of the same whole, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of the stuff, like we did it the hard way, the hard, hard yeah. way. And a lot of the old timers in forensics, will be like, well, we had to do it the hard way. So they have to too. And like, I don't feel like that's necessary. So a lot of what we share now is all the stuff we learned the hard way so that somebody doesn't have to do it that way again. And, Mm -hmm. um, I really love that now. I really enjoy that now, um, as a supervisor, like now I'm a manager. So I oversee multiple different forensic units and I really love like taking those units and developing those team members and helping them grow in their careers. And I love um, all of, I love to like introduce new technology and new processes and procedures and just move the units forward. And when I got into forensics years ago, that's not where I thought I would be or what I thought I would be doing or what would make me excited about forensics. But it is now like I love to see new things and learn new things and then bring it into my department and implement that stuff. Uh, I love to see the girls grow and, you know, even grow and move on to other areas in forensics, which my department is always like, why are we losing these CSIs? Like, because they've they've outgrown it. You know, they're yeah. they're ready for for a new adventure. And so um, that's kind of the stuff I love about forensics now. <laughs> Very different yeah. than probably what I would have said 20 years ago. <laughs> that's fair. How about you, Ashley? So for me, I never, ever could have pictured myself doing what I'm doing now. Um, whenever I got into the field, I was 
pretty sure I was just going to be a crime scene investigator for 30 years until I retired. Um, so, and I have Aaron to thank for that. So, <laughs> um, that's also why like we're two halves to the whole, like she's the one that's like, let's start our own company. And I was like, are you sure we can do this? And now I'm like, what else can we do? So that's part of like, that's definitely exciting for me, but the work that we're doing now kind of piggybacking off of what Erin was saying is like, it is every single time I hear from one of our students that the things that we were, you know, are providing them or um, teaching them, they've gone back and like implemented it at their own agency or in their own lives in some capacity. And it's helped them so much like that every single time will give me a very warm and fuzzy feeling like what we're doing actually matters and is making a difference. And like she said before, like the whole purpose behind um, gap science and what we're doing is just to make it easier for the people that are currently in the field, but also the people that are going to be in the field in the future, because Mm -hmm. a lot of what we, the struggles that we went through, um, weren't, they, they could have been avoided. Uh, they weren't absolutely necessary. And so hopefully, um, you know, the next generation of people entering the field, it's going to be a little bit easier for them. Yeah. And I think very tack on if I can, Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we've both had uh, very cool careers in forensics and done a lot of different things and are doing things now that we never thought we would do back then. And I think that anybody can have that career in forensics and a very exciting and fulfilling career where you, you know, start off like in anthropology and then you end up here and then you do some of this. Um, but I think you have to be willing to follow that wherever that is, because it's not all going to be in one city. So you can really have a very cool career and learn all different kinds of things and go all different kinds of places if you're willing to go to those places. So we have instructors, like one of our instructors we just had on our podcast, um, is an anthropologist. She is, uh, she's a doctor of anthropology and she, um, was buried or, uh, digging up like world war II veterans in Tarot, Tarawa, which is like a little tiny Island in the Southern Pacific. Wow. And wow. so, um, so she's had this crazy career too, but she was willing, like she went to Germany and London mm-hmm. and Tarawa and Texas and like all of these different places, which I think for a lot of people is overwhelming, you know, to be like thinking about moving all over the place. Um, but if you're willing to do that, you can really have this really incredible experience and career in forensics. So mm-hmm. just no, planting that seed out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's incredible. And it's so lovely to hear to the mindset that the two of you have, like with gap science, because there's, I feel like there's just, like you said, such an emphasis of, I went through that, so now you're going to have to go through that because that's going to make you into the person who I've become kind of thing. Like, And to take that separation out and say, no, we are going to use this to teach and educate and like help grow. I think that's just really mm-hmm. incredible. And I'm applauding you guys for that because <laughs> you don't see it a lot. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think if we put in that effort, we can develop 
a group of forensic professionals mm-hmm. that are even more incredible than we yeah. ever were, you know, it's yeah. like, I, I feel like I'm a good example. I had no training program. Like I started at my department, there was no training program at all. They never mm-hmm. had one. And they were just basically like, this is the way we learn. So you'll be fine too. But I not even me, those investigations suffered for years because I didn't have the knowledge that I needed to work them effectively. And it took me years to gain that knowledge. Mm -hmm. If they had given me that knowledge up front, I could have developed so much farther than I did, but Mm -hmm. I had to do it the hard way because I was learning at such a slow pace. So I feel like for us, you know, if we can give people the tools to just step out the gate even more prepared, they'll go so much farther than we were ever able to because they have the tools to help them be successful, you know? And why do we do that to people anymore? Like, yeah, yeah. why would we even continue to do that to people? We know better, you know? It was awful for us. We don't want to make it awful (laughs) for everyone else. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Like, I had to struggle up. So you also have to struggle up. And that's just how the way the world works. No, I agree. Not at all. I think... I think agencies should be more aware of the fact, too, that if this education and this insights being provided to their employers, then it's not just the the techs or the CSI, CSIs or whomever is getting the education that's going to grow and prosper. Like it's the ent- it's everyone. And I mm-hmm. think that's really not talked about a lot, you know, so you got to start small somewhere. And it's yeah. great to see that with you guys. Um, you're you're welcome um just lastly too i know we're getting up close to our our time um but given the field and you know the stuff you've had to endure and go through do you have specific ways to kind of like protect your energy in a way or like separate your work from your home life i i it's a super cliche question but i love to know kind of what you guys do to unwind and be there for yourself at the end of the day (laughs) you just opened up the door she doesn't even know (laughs) ashley has all the feels um so something that is like a hallmark of our courses is we really wanted to do better with the Mm the mental health and the forensic Mm -hmm. field. Um, I don't think, I think it honestly should start in college, like really preparing the students. Like this is how you're going to struggle or what you're going to, what you could experience and like give them coping mechanisms out of the gate Mm -hmm. before they enter the field. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's super important because for me, um, I did not, protect my energy. And I was very much a workhorse and I lived for um, the investigations and it took a really like a big life event for me to realize like I cannot keep going on this path Mm -hmm. of just burning myself at both ends and not giving myself the space away from the job. Mm -hmm. Um, so some of the things that I had to learn the hard way is like, whenever your shift is over, try to make it a point to leave. Like, Mm -hmm. there's always, always going to be something that needs your attention. The reports are going to keep stacking up. And so I feel like people try to like, um, 
maintain that that casework within you know the week that they have to work and it's just not doable it's not it's not doable to fit in that 40 hour time period so people will just continue working longer or coming in earlier or things like that so um and i was one of those you know i would basically work for free too i wouldn't even put it on my time card i'm like oh but these reports um but you will learn one way or another, you will learn um, that you need to set a boundary and leave when you're supposed to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is like try to get a hobby yeah. okay. <laughs> um, uh, that is not forensic related. We even for some people that have worked in this field for a long time and they like haven't set boundaries, I would even go as far as to say like quit listening to true kind podcasts, quit listening or watching um, true crime television or documentaries and stuff like that, because at that point your brain is still thinking about work Mm -hmm. and you need, you need that separation between work and having fun or like having Mm -hmm. a life outside of work. Um, Something that's also really important to me is just like overall health and wellness. So whatever that looks like for you, it can be, working out, it can be, um, getting massages. I just started a chiropractor, going to see a chiropractor. That's been awesome. Um, (laughs) nutrition is also a big thing, especially if you're doing field work, but honestly, if you're in the lab too, a lot of people will like skip lunch or they'll constantly have takeout. Um, they'll, over caffeinate, which I did too. Yeah. I didn't, I, I never, <laughs> yeah, I never even drank coffee and even in through grad school, it was when I started crime scene investigation work where I actually started drinking coffee for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can have a detrimental effect. Um, so like you'll figure out what works best for you, but try not to try, try to go into the field with some of these coping mechanisms. Um, and like find someone to help cope with like you know like that can support you like just venting mm-hmm. and stuff like that don't necessarily vent to your spouse or your partner at home um mine wasn't really interested <laughs> in <laughs> the stuff that i was you know he's like oh that sounds disgusting please don't tell me more yeah. um so like you're gonna need to vent to someone so find someone safe that you can vent to and um you know I don't know. I can talk about this all day, but those are just some of the things. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Erin? Do you have anything specific that helps you kind of decompress? Um, I think, I think some of the same things that Ashley said, I also learned the hard way uh, with a major life event that um, I was investing more time in work than my like personal relationships and, um, and I think a lot of us do, cause we're very passionate about the job. And so mm-hmm. we invest a lot in work and we'll see a lot of people, um, be like, Oh, I have to miss this event for my kids, or I can't go to this person's wedding, or I can't do whatever because I have to work. I can't take vacation because there's so much work to be done. Right. And those opportunities that makes me sad because those opportunities don't come around again, you know, yeah. you're, you're you know, best friend is not getting married again, or maybe they are, but you know, not this wedding. And you know, your kids (laughs) are not going to play that baseball game again. And like all of those kinds of things. And there's plenty of stuff you'll have to miss as a CSI or working in forensics. 
that you don't have any choice about just because of the on-call schedule and all of that. So I was very much like Ashley. I poured into work a lot and uh, learned a hard life lesson. And at that point, I stopped, um, you know, when my day was done, if I could go, I would go. Mm -hmm. Uh, I stopped checking emails outside of work. Um, I was one of those that like obsessively checked emails all weekend long at night. Um, I stopped doing that. I still don't do it to this day. I mean, I'm the manager. I've bought loads of people emailing me. I will Friday. I stopped checking emails. I won't check them again until Monday. Someone will call me if it's urgent. Yeah. Um, so things like that. I think Ashley brought up having hobbies outside of work. I think you should also have a friend group outside of work. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. is, um, you should develop a friend group that you do other things with. Uh, that you don't sit there and talk about your job <laughs> with because when you do have a group of work friends, that tends to be what you do. You know, you go out to yeah. dinner and you all vent about work. And yeah. so it's just kind of bringing that stress uh, out into your life. But <clears throat> I think we've both seen a lot of people who have poured into their job their whole career and not developed any of those things outside of work. And then when they retire, their whole identity is wrapped up in the job and they don't have anything else. They don't have any Mm -hmm. hobbies they've made. They don't have any friends that they've made that aren't related to work. And then they retire and they're like so lost because they they don't know what to do with themselves. And so I think that that's a healthy way to separate is to just kind of develop a life, hobbies, a group of friends and stuff outside of work where yeah. you can do other things besides just talk about <laughs> your your very traumatic job. And yeah. um, and it is traumatic. You'll, you'll see and do a lot of disgusting things. Like for us, Thanksgiving was yesterday. And my brother was talking to me about the turkey. And he was like, I don't know how grossed out you are by touching the turkey. And I'm like, to be honest, I have touched way worse things in my career. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah. turkey doesn't bother me that much. But like, we do really gross stuff. So I think, um, I think it is important to develop some other things outside of work where you're just not thinking about it all the time, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can add a little, sorry, yeah, another ahead. little, like, for the people just getting into the job. And this comes from a place that we're both workaholics. Um, there is like a point in college where I was working like three jobs at one time. So it's like, I'm not afraid to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I would also say, like, take your paid time off. Like, mm-hmm. do not keep rocking it up. You do not get an award for how much paid time off is in your bank. If you have a high bank of paid time off that you have not used, to me, that screams you need a vacation. Um, But I also like felt really guilty because I worked at agencies that were severely short staffed. So I felt like, ah, like I'm, I, I just don't, I feel guilty taking time off because I know it's going to put a burden on the rest of the people that I work with because mm-hmm. we're already short staffed and being down another person's really going to affect them. So I would probably work, you know, when I was, when I shouldn't have, cause I was too sick or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I should have taken, like Aaron said, shouldn't have missed those life events. Um, so don't be afraid. Don't feel guilty just because, you know, an agency is short staffed, like, that's on them at the end of the day. Like you have to, you know, 
that we, we say this in our classes too. Like if you quit tomorrow or if something happens to you tomorrow, the agency is going, it's a very like well-oiled machine. It's going to plug someone else in there literally the next yeah. day. Yeah. Um, so like you should be your main priority. Do not make the agency your priority. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's excellent, excellent advice. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an awesome episode. I'm super excited to see what our listeners think as well. I loved it. Um, would you guys mind sharing where our listeners can find you, either like with Gap Science or just personally or however you want to be out there? <laughs> yes. So definitely, if you're interested in the courses, head to our website, gapscience.com. Uh, but if you like hanging out on social media, Instagram is my favorite. We are also on Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Pinterest. All of Ooh, the handles Pinterest. are at Gap Science. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so definitely find us on your favorite platform and, uh, you know, hang out in, in Instagram stories if you want to chit chat with me. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and so for our listeners, our next topic is going to be the Black Widow Killers um, in January. And um, Rebecca, where can people find us? Okay. So uh, just like Ashley had said, for us, we mostly keep our socials updated. Um, so you can find us on Instagram face and uh, Facebook at What the Forensics. We do also upload our audio to YouTube if that's where you're listening from. And that's just also at what the forensics or if you head to our website at what the you'll it's our one-stop shop for everything you'll find our sources our source images our episodes some fun details about us and everything about our forensic fridays awesome and make sure to give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts we love to read them thank you so much aaron and ashley for joining on our episode it's been so awesome having you guys here and with that being said, this has been another episode of What the Forensics. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Just a reminder to everyone that we are not professionals in the forensic science field. We are just interested in forensics and want to share what we are learning with our listeners. We're trying to give you the most accurate information, but we are human and can make mistakes. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you next week. Mm -hmm.